This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, ripping and roaring here through a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're here with you until 3. And it's a shame that some of the conversations that one Stephen A. Tasker and myself have (laughs) in our office don't make the air. We are going to share one with you here because Steve and I were going back and forth about the upcoming game on Sunday between the Jets and the Lions. I am all aboard the Dan Campbell train and biting off kneecaps. Lions are playing some good football. They gave the Bills all they could handle on Thanksgiving. And their (laughs) offensive coordinator is a play-calling savant of late. Jamison Williams is now working his way back into the fold, their number one draft choice who came off the ACL that he suffered in the, I want to say, national championship game. I can't remember if it was the SEC title game or national. Either way, early January. And uh, they are a tough out right now. Now, you could say the exact same thing about the Jets. So, Steve and I are at odds Brownies, brownies, As a brown, to, brownies, a lion guy. I'm all, I think the Lions are going to beat the Jets this week. Steve believes the Jets, and I quote, are going to, what would you say, annihilate? What lump you, them up. Lump them up. Lump up the Lions this week. Because my, my logic is, as anybody with a long history in football like I do has, it is this. Don't ever forget, it's the Lions. So Steve makes a dramatic exit from the office as he utters this line. Brownie. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. It's the Lions. So Steve leaves the office. Nice exit, too. Timed it right. Oh, yeah. Pulled it it off great. It was a great dramatic exit. Then as I come back in. He comes back in the office. (laughs) He comes back to his cubicle to sit down. (laughs) And I look Steve dead in the eye, and I go, Steve, never forget. It's the Jets. (laughs) To, Steve contemplates for a second. That's a good point by you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point by you. Is this the, I don't know what you're going to get it game of the week or what? The, it's when, and I said it this way, it's when the hard, cold truth meets the indisputable fact. <laughs> which is which? And Yes. <laughs> pick, take your pick. The Lions are the hard, cold truth and the Jets are fact. Here's the thing I, I think about the Jets. They legitimately push the Bills to the limit in both those games. They are legit up front. Their defense is for real. Yeah, they're a good matchup They are what the Bills do offense. Exactly. And I think for that reason, it's going to be hard for the Lions to do what they've been doing, and that's hang a bunch of points on them. And I, I just think the Jets are a better football team right now with Mike White. And I – you know, I just can't get my mind around that. Now, I forget. It's easy to forget too. For me, the Lions gave the Bills all they wanted as well. It was a thirty-three thirty game. Don't forget, twenty-eight twenty-five. A twenty-eight twenty-five game. Don't forget. <laughs> and that you know, it was a game that was it was tough. It was on Thanksgiving. All that da 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 da. Twenty-eight twenty-five Bills. And I, but I just think the Jets are more for real than the Lions. I just and they're at home. The Jets are at home. I, I just yeah. I just think the Jets are a better football team. And um, right at this point in history, Dan Campbell aside, I think the Jets are being better run. So, 
I, I like Robert Sala. I like Dan. I like both these head coaches. I'm, it's just hard for me not to get my mind around the fact that the Jets pushed the Bills to the limit twice and beat them once. Yeah. And the bit. Let me say this: the Bills didn't. The play Bills very good are the first really. Time. The Bills are the best team in the conference. They've played the toughest schedule. They've been injured as much as anybody in the league, and they're the one seed. And they were on the road against Baltimore and beat them, Kansas City and beat them. They had Tennessee here and crushed them. I just The Bills are a for real team. And to come in and play the way the Jets did against them twice and beat them once says a lot about how good a football team they are. So in this yeah. week when we're talking about – and I don't know why we were all on the – I think the Lions are going. Uh, the Lions have had a nice stretch, no question. It's hard to win a bunch of games in a row, and they've won a bunch of them. Yeah, I think the one equalizing factor for the Lions that goes largely unnoticed. I think you can make an argument they have one of the top five offensive lines in the entire league. They have a very good offensive line, some high draft picks, and they move defensive lines off the line of scrimmage. Now the Jets are a tall order especially if Quinn and Williams is back in the lineup. If he doesn't play, I like the Lions' offensive Here's line. The thing. Yeah, okay, but they played the Packers, they played the Bears, they played the Giants, they played Jacksonville I know. and Minnesota. I know. And they lost to the Bills in the midst of all that. And they lost to the Dolphins, they lost to the Cowboys, they lost to the Patriots, they lost to the Seahawks, they lost to the Vikings, they lost to the Eagles like everybody's doing. They beat the Commanders, the Packers, the Bears, the Giants – a lot of middle-of-the-road teams. And the Jaguars and Minnesota this last week win. Well, they're playing we, a last-place schedule. We've known Minnesota was a fraud since they beat us. Yeah. So, yeah, um, they're, the Jets are a for-real football team, and I think, the, I think the Lions have been making hay against a soft schedule. The Jets don't consistently score points the way the Lions do. And I realize the Lions are playing yeah. a last-place schedule, but guess what? So are the Jets. It's true, though. It's true. They – they, 31, 31, 25, 40, 34. Those are all they games that are their last points. six games. They're, they're scoring a lot. And their OC, Ben Johnson, is going to start getting some sniffs. Now, maybe not this offseason, but next offseason for a head coaching job. Cause, I don't know why. Yeah. Sometimes these coordinators have one good year, bang, they're gone. Yeah, I, I think other guys have he's going to need a little bit bigger body of work. So it's probably not this offseason. I don't know, but though. The Lions, doing that with the Lions is, I with think. With Jared Goff. Exactly. I think that says a lot about his abilities to squeeze the most out of his personnel. And teams aren't going to want to pass on a guy who ends up being a really good guy for somebody else a year later yeah. or two years later. So sometimes these guys skyrocket to a head coaching job. Mm -hmm. Like back in whenever it was when. Sean McVay got his job. Cliff Kingsbury, Matt Lafleur, all these, you know, McCoy. Is that right, McCoy in Cincinnati? No, that's not right. What, have, what am I missing? What's oh, the head coach. Yeah, in the head Cincinnati? coach's name is. Uh, uh, I, can't I always remember. forget his name. Anyway, those guys. They all got hired all at the same time in that same you know big rush, and now they're they're all still coaching. Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. I don't want to say the McCoy all the time. I don't know. Zach Taylor. That crew that got hired, they all were meteoric rises. And then you got guys that, you know, in coordinator spots like Brian Dable, who did it with Josh Allen for four years before he ever got a chance. You know, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. 
Josh McDaniel sat in New England. He had a couple of jobs. He's had a shot at it for yep. a while, though. But there's all these guys that sometimes it takes them forever to get a, a look, and then other times they go right away. So I don't get that. I don't get that. Yeah. But this guy in Detroit is supposed to be really good. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll, we'll see, see on Sunday. We'll now learn they, a lot more on Sunday. They scored, they scored 25 against the Bills' defense. And the, but the Jet defense statistically is better than that. Yeah, well, well they're better in certain areas, yes. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, I still th- I'm very interested in see how that game turns out uh, this week against the Jets-Lions. And the reason we got into this is because Robert Sala still believes his team's his playoff team, and they, they got to win out to make it happen. No doubt. they got to win out. Yeah, they got leapfrogged last night by the New England Patriots who beat the Arizona Cardinals after Kyler Murray went out with what looks to be an ACL injury on the third play from scrimmage. Another non-contact injury. This one on grass. I know turf has come under fire for these kinds of injuries, but this one happened on grass. And with the Patriots winning that game 27-13, they leapfrogged not only the Jets, but I believe the Chargers. i got to check that again. Did they, are the Chargers still in? Right, let me Hold on. Let me go back. And make sure. Yes, they leapfrog the Chargers as well. So they're in the seven hole. Chargers slide back to eight after holding the final playoff spot for a day. And the Jets are now ninth. So Jets are looking up at a couple of teams just with them alone. And (laughs) not for nothing, Steve, Miami at eight and five suddenly has New England and the Jets breathing down their neck for second place. You know what I mean? So Miami's not pushing the panic button yet, but they're going to come in here motivated to win a game. They can't drop they three can't in a row. Drop, they can't Especially drop in the one. AFC no, and a division they, loss. This is, this is a huge game for Miami. All of a sudden, because Miami got beat last week, the Bills have got a little bit of breathing room. It's not as, it, it's not as crucial for the division as it is for Miami. For the Bills – it's crucial for the one seed. They need this game, but they're going to they're going to win this division. I mean, that's all there is to it. But Miami is you're right. Miami is now they're they're riding a little bit of a bubble right now, and if that bubble pops, they may be home right after the regular season's out. They may miss the playoffs completely. Yeah. With the Patriots and the Jets. Interesting thing about, well, we'll talk about this more later in the week, but the defensive game plans of both the Niners and the Chargers worked very well against Tua Tagovailoa in that Dolphins passing game. We'll, we'll dice more of that up later in the week because we have other items we have to get to today, most notably concerning the Bills passing game. Two player transactions, well, involving a total of four players actually, by the Bills today. One active roster move, one practice squad move today. The active roster move was the signing, re-signing actually, of defensive tackle Brandon Bryant to the 53-man roster. They released defensive tackle C.J. Brewer as a result. He had just rejoined the roster last week after the injury to Jordan Phillips was suffered in the New England game. So they added him for depth. He was uh, added to the active roster last week. He's now since been released because Brandon Bryant has spent the better part of the last three seasons with the Bills on the practice squad, called up for some 
games here and there over the last three seasons. He essentially, Steve, is this team's fifth defensive tackle. So anytime one of the top four defensive tackles gets injured, Brandon Bryant's the next guy in the rotation. Yeah, I think, I the think problem they're... is they had to move him off the roster recently because of a injury situation in another position. They had to make room on the roster, and he got claimed off waivers by Houston. The Texans right. just released him yesterday, and the Bills scooped him back up and put him on their active roster. I think this spells problems for, like, Jordan Phillips. I don't know. If I think he might be out a while. Yeah, this may be a signal that he's not coming back soon. Well, I think he's also – no offense to C.J. Brewer, but Brandon Bryan is a more experienced right. and, and probably an upgrade for your, what will amount to your fourth defensive tackle again this week in the event that Jordan Phillips can't get back from his shoulder injury and miss a second straight game. So that was roster move number one. Roster move number two, getting a lot more attention, and we understand why. Cole Beasley signed to the Bills practice squad this morning and this was a move that I don't know if many people thought would ever take place again um, after he was released after last season. So he's back in the fold. Yeah. And, you know, this is something they did just two weeks ago with John Brown. So the receiving core, it, it's like old home days. They're getting the band back yeah, together. And I think one of the reasons for there's a couple of ways you can all we can all kind of see why. John Brown and Cole Beasley, one, they, they know the offense. Two, it's important if you're going to have an insurance policy for your receiving core that those guys are plug in and play. And Josh Allen knows them and understands them. And trusts And trusts them. them. Um, I don't know that and, – and it could be construed, too, as like, wow, I don't know if they like Khalil Shakir. Boy, I don't know if, if uh, Isaiah McKenzie's really given them everything they thought they were going to get out of him. Or I don't know that Jake Coomer is not going to come back from injury. Uh, all this – you can go down the list of possible reasons why. But I think when push comes to shove and you got a team like this in the situation the Bills are at, the one seed, Super Bowl aspirations, all of the things that are attached expectation-wise – with this club, you've got to have guys that in case something happens, you can plug them in and they're ready to go and cover for you and, get, and not drop off in production. I would agree that that is how we should view John Brown. John Brown is a player that had trouble staying on a roster last year after he was released by the Bills following the 2020 season. And... Now he's back, and while I still believe he has NFL ability, he strikes me more as what you termed it, an insurance policy. Cole Beasley, I think, could be something different. If you look at this passing offense, it has not functioned the same as it did last season with Beasley in it. They have a true number. They still have a true number one option in Diggs. But no single individual, nor a group of individuals in Buffalo's receiving core has been able to adequately replace the production that Cole Beasley had in this offense. Whether it's one guy playing the slot, two guys playing the slot, and maybe injury has something to do that, do with that with Jamison Crowder on injured reserve. But the bottom line is this. They have not been able to replicate Cole Beasley's production in this offense since he left. And because of that, he's back. Now, 
I'll say, is he gonna is he gonna walk right in and put somebody out of a starting lineup position? I don't think that's gonna happen no right way. away. Because last I checked, this guy was out hunting with his kids two weeks ago. Here's the thing, too. Not running routes. Right. Here's the thing as well. that It's – and I'll say this. If they're going to go – if you can picture this happening and say, hey, is there any – you know, what are you looking – what do you want – Josh, what are you looking for? Listen, he wants somebody who can catch the ball. Cole Beasley was a phenomenal – had a great catch radius. The Bills are number two in the National Football League in drops. They're actually number one according to some statistical services. They're they're the worst in the league, or at least second worst in the league at dropping the football. So if you're going to go to Josh Allen and say, "What do you think? What who should we get?" He'll know. He's going to say, "Listen, give me a guy who can catch." Right. And that falls on Cole Beasley. Now Cole Beasley's a long way from getting on the field for the Bills. Now I hold this. I, I will say this. I say he's a long way from getting on the field with the Bills. I also said like four, five, six weeks ago on this show when people were saying something. When he when Beasley retired from the Bucks. Bucks, I said, "There's no way he's coming back here. There's that's not. He's done. He doesn't want to play." So I'm saying, <laughs> "There's no way he's getting on the field." I could be really wrong. Just again, well, but he's got to get in shape, get in the offense, get acclimated, and you can say, "Well, he was only yes." I get all of that, but it's a, it's a long time, and. He's got some things to prove, certainly to himself as well. He's probably got to get out there and get see what it feels like to be back in uniform. But I think that's more about what this is than anything. This is a team that leads the league and drops. And Cole Beasley doesn't do that. And he's got a quarter he got a quarterback back there who's in any given Sunday the best player on the field for either team. And he wants somebody who's not going to drop when he throws it. Well, so, and not only that, in de- you know, the coaching staff, as we have seen since Sean McDermott got here, you earn everything you get on the field. If you produce, you stay on the field. If you don't produce, you're not on the field. Yeah, you can you earn, take a seat. You you're- can earn your way on the field, but you earn your way off it. And w- we've seen it. it. It has taken 14 weeks for James Cook to, to earn an, a, more than 20 snaps right, a game. To get any kind of... Playing time. Playing time. And we've seen it's, it was a struggle at times. The guy's dropping pass. He's falling down with the ball in his hands. He's dropping passes. He whiffs on a block and gets the wide receiver number one jacked up. I mean, it's, you know, so if you can earn your way on the field, you can earn your way off. And this, you're right, Brownie. Cole Beasley may be a signal that somebody's earning their way off. Yeah. Well, drop more passes and you'll be sitting on the bench pretty quick because. You say, oh, well, everybody drops passes. Yeah, but as Steve mentioned, the team leads the league in drop passes with 32. That's according to ProFootballReference.com. Two more than the next closest teams, Miami and the Chargers, uh, with Green Bay not far behind. So that's a problem because you're sacrificing the efficiency of your offense as a result. This despite the fact that the Bills are still first in the AFC in average yards per play on first down, and they are still, let me just double-check this and make sure I'm right. No, they've slipped to number two in the league in third-down efficiency. Drops are part of that equation because, look, I'm not saying that Josh has the highest on-target percentage in the league. He doesn't. He's actually middle of the pack this year. But there have been enough plays to be made for receivers to push this offense forward, and it has not happened. That, combined with the fact 
that no one has seized the true wide receiver two role within the scope of this passing game is why Cole Beasley is here now in the 11th hour of the 2022 season. The, t- the team, the offensive staff, they gave the players on this roster more than enough time to develop, find their place within the scope of the passing game, and produce. We're at week 15 now, and the offensive staff has said, that's it. We've given you all enough time. We still have kinks and problems with the execution in this offense. We're going to fix it with people now, not with scheme, not with repetition, not with coaching. All of those methods have been attempted. It's not working. Bring in Cole Beasley. Here we go. You got to bring in – they're bringing in competition. Competition makes you better. Cole Beasley is going to – is there to play. Uh, Just like Naheem Hines was brought in as competition – uh, just like the the roller coaster or the carousel at corner, the you know uh, Christian Benford, Kyrie Elam, Tredavious White now, Xavier Dane Rhodes. Jackson, Xavier Rhodes, all these guys are have been rotated through at different times. Now certainly injury was also in part of that mix as well, but Xavier Rhodes was signed for a reason and he's on the field here uh, has been on the field. So they are not sitting standing pat on this roster, even as this season winds down and it culminates in a playoff berth. You got to keep pushing if you're on this roster. And I think this Cole Beasley signing is one more it's a wake up call. tangible sign of tangible piece of proof that proof that says you got to keep pushing. Yeah. I think the offensive staff has run out of patience here. Unless they see dramatic changes ahead of one of the most important games of the season. Uh, Listen, I, we're going to be making changes, and we got people on the roster ready to be that change. And I know, and I know, um, you know, in some cases, criticism's fair. I get it, um, and it's but it's a, an imperfect world we live in, and guys make mistakes all the time. You know, guy, I'll drop a pass. Everybody drops a pass now and again. Here's the thing, too. You got to remember, they've had the hardest schedule of anybody in the National Football League, certainly in the AFC. They've been extremely injured, an injured club. Uh, they've lost a Hall of Fame pass rusher. They've lost an all-pro safety caliber player. And they've had in it, guys in and out of the lineup on defense all over the field. Their offensive line has been injured up and down, had guys up and down, all of that. Having said all of that, the schedule, the injuries, um, they're the number one seed in the conference. Right. There's not too much to criticize here, and there, but this kind of atmosphere is the one that really sets you apart. They're not sitting back waiting for the playoffs to start. They're trying to get better all the time, even now, week 14, 15 of the regular season. This is a team that is pushing all the buttons. Uh, and, I, and I can tell you this, too. Not only is it the players and the roster, but Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Ken Dorsey, uh, starting with McDermott, are making sure that the coaching staff is on that plan too. Get better. Yeah. Get better. Be ready for those situations when they occur. Which prompts the question that we have sitting on the table for you at One Bills Live. Have the Bills properly equipped themselves for the stretch run this season with some of the acquisitions that they've made, some of the changes that they've made, and we'll see if there are more on the horizon with respect to the starting lineup. You let us know at 803-0550, the number to get on board. Steve, we need to also mention this. Weather watch, Saturday night, week 15. Well, 
Buffalo Lake Effect Snow. Say it with me, everybody. Uh, apparently, things are setting up for there to be a Lake Effect Snow event. Obviously, nothing like we witnessed a few weeks ago that got the Browns game relocated to Detroit. But it looks as though snow is in the forecast for Saturday night. And it all depends on the wind direction and where the snow band is going to set up. That's what it looks like at this well, point. We all kind of, yeah. I mean, if you live here, you kind of know what Brownie's talking about. Um, one to, right now, the one I'm looking at says one to three inches overnight. Uh, it's going to be cold. Low Saturday during the day, it'll be 31. At night, it'll be 25. Uh, and it's going to be 75% humidity that night. Um, and the lake is still relatively warm, it's in, you know, in the mid to upper 40s. So basically what they're saying during the day Saturday, remember the Bills are playing at night, 8.15 kickoff. During the day Saturday, high of about 31, 32 degrees, 58 to 60% chance of snow, and 1 to 3 inches is forecast during the day. In the evening, when the Bills are playing football, variably cloudy, snow showers, a low of 25 to 26, winds 10 to 15 miles an hour out of the west-southwest, chance of snow 60%, another 1 to 3 inches expected. So it looks like snow is going to be, at least right now, I realize it's only Tuesday and this is obviously subject to change, but if we get to about Thursday and this forecast is unchanged, we can bank on snow during the game. Yeah. During the game, Saturday night. I'll say this, though. The snow's better than it was this last Sunday when it was wet. Uh, when it wasn't snow, it was rain. Uh, the snow's better because the ball will stay drier, and it's just better. You don't get wet. Uh, always Snow's always better than the rain. Uh, the thing that's the worst part about it is the winds. Uh, southwest at what, 12, 50, area, one to three, yeah, about 12 miles per hour, winds southwest, west-southwest. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. And this, yeah, somewhere between 55 and 60% chance of snow. It's going to be cold. Might be chilly. It's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cold. Forget that chilly stuff. It's going to be cold. Um, yeah, we'll watch it. It's going to be a factor. Yeah. And, you know, the big – and, of course, all of us as Bills fans, and I know you've done this too, anybody you talk to about this game are asking me, and I anticipated I, – I cut them off before we even got there. Is it legal – Yeah. Is it – right? You know where I'm going. Is it legal for the Bills to go without heaters? Then the Dolphins have to go without heaters on their sideline. Yeah, the amenities have to be identical. Which be, is why the Bills didn't have uh, the misting fans. misting fans on their sidelines when the Dolphins. Oh, they had them on the sideline, but they, they just couldn't use them. They couldn't use them. Because the Dolphins said, oh, no, we don't need those. We're in the shade over here. We're great. And I remember sitting in the press box looking at the Bills bench. They got those shades, those shade tents propped up to try to keep the players in the shade as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's six misting fans behind them, all unplugged, all unused, because the Dolphins aren't using them on their sideline. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just annoying. Let's go to the phones at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. As we are asking you, have the Bills properly equipped themselves for a stretch run here in 2022? We go to Mike in Amherst to lead us off. What do you got for us, Mike? 
Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to thank you for being the exact sports therapeutics we all need in Buffalo. You guys have an <laughs> awesome show. Thank you. Um, I tune in every day while I'm working from home to kind of stay level-headed. So great show as always. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but I've never felt better about this team. I think we've shown the moment is not too big anymore. Um, you know, if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year, we'd be 10 and three first place, beat the Chiefs, the Titans, the Ravens. I'd sign that the rest of my life and say, absolutely. So I think they're in a great spot. Um, over the last four wins, I've gotten the vibe that they're kind of letting the game come to them and saying, hey, look, we're going to play the football game our opponent wants to play, and we're going to beat them. You know, it seemed like when we had those couple losses, Josh was being a little loose with the football, maybe being too aggressive. And, I mean, this is a question for you guys. Do you think the coaching staff kind of got together with them and said, hey, let's calm down. We're a good enough team. We can beat anybody over 60 minutes. Let's not force things. Um, and my other question to you guys was, do you think they have overcome these kind of one-off anomaly losses? Do you think that going down the stretch, you know, they're going to be prepared for those kind of wacky situations? Yeah, that's a good question. You're talking about the 13-second game, and you're talking about the Minnesota game when, you know, all they needed was one quarterback sneak for no gain to win the game, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, you'd like to think so. But it's impossible to anticipate every weird situation that happens in a football game. You got to even the the I think it was Demar Hamlin in the Minnesota game with the with the Ju- Justin Jefferson pass where it actually he was going to intercept it and actually, Cam Lewis Cam Lewis Cam Lewis actually helped Justin Jefferson catch the ball, ironically when all he had to do was swipe it off to the sidelines and the Bills win the game. That kind of stuff, yeah, you can't anticipate all of that. Uh, and that doesn't all fall on the coaching staff because you got to have some players out there who are pros and kind of get that situational thing too. Uh, I do think – I like it. You, you're right. The Bills are right where they want to be. But when you're right where you want to be in this, at this situation, this time of year, it's precarious because you got other good teams that are ch- nipping at your heels and you got to keep going. you got to keep staying where you want to be. So, yeah, they are right where they want to be. And I'll say this too about your other point real quickly about the Bills – kind of playing the game that is presented to them by their opponents. The Bills are a good football – no, they're a great football team. And right now they're displaying the fact that they can win games any way you want to have it. We saw them a couple weeks ago run the ball more than they threw it. We've seen them play a defensive game like they did last week against the Jets. We've seen them hang 31 on the defending world champions, 41 on the number one seed from a year ago, 38 on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They can beat you any way that is presented in the game they need to win that way. They can do it. They did it with turnovers. They've done it without turning over. They've overcome their own mistakes to win. They've done it every situationally thing way you can come up with. And that's something to feel good about. That's something to feel good about because they are a deep, stacked, talented football team that's playing really well right now. They don't play in a vacuum because there's some other good teams out there. In fact, the Bills have played in less of a vacuum than any other team in the league because I keep saying it, they've had the toughest schedule out there, and they've overcome to the number one seed. Yes. So, yeah, there's a lot to feel good about about this team, but as we all know, it's the NFL and man, oh, man, you've got to get to the end of it. Right. At the same time, the concern we hear from Bills fans, at least the ones that are talking to me, is they had become accustomed 
to seeing this as a juggernaut offense through the ball down the field, kind of like we're seeing the Eagles do every week. That's what the Bills had, had kind of conditioned their fan base to expect. You can make the argument we have not seen that since about week five against the Steelers. And I think while Bills fans on the whole are happy that the team is still winning football games, I think they're wondering, hey, in a week where we actually need to be explosive, can we be? Because they haven't been reminded of that capability in a game in quite some time. And so I think that's why there are some Bills fans that are a little nervous saying, hey, can, are we ever going to get back to that? Are we capable of doing that? And I think that's what they're openly wondering. I don't, I'm not saying it's a panic situation, but that's the general consensus that I get from the fans that have been talking to me even when I'm not on the show here. we got to take a break because when we come back, our colleague, one Alec White, content coordinator, Bills reporter for BuffaloBills.com, is going to join us. We're talking playoff scenarios. It is that time of the year. He'll bring us up to speed next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Pleased to be joined now by our colleague, content coordinator, Bills reporter for BuffaloBills.com, one Alec White joining us as it is time once again to review the AFC Conference playoff race. And, Alec, I know that uh, the Bills got some more help this past weekend, so why don't you kind of map out for us what Week 15 did for the Bills to kind of help them with that Dolphins loss to the Chargers? Yeah, kind of the most important thing to know from Week 14 is there is a playoff-clinching scenario this coming week between the Bills and Dolphins. The Bills need a win, and they get a playoff spot. They don't clinch the division, but they do assure themselves of a playoff spot. Uh, And now you're two games up on Miami with four games to play. So there's a little bit more margin for error, so to speak, in terms of the AFC East uh, the way it'll work, win, as I said, you get in the playoffs, two wins yep. out of the next four. You're the minimum three seed in the AFC. You win three of the final four. The Bills are a minimum of, of the two seed. And if they win all four, as we said last week, they would still be the number one seed. Yeah, so, I mean, you win this weekend. You're three games clear of the Dolphins with three games to play. I mean, you're in the Catbird seat. Because head-to-head becomes a push. Right. Yeah. So it's and exactly like they would just and need, ahead. and your conference record would be better than theirs as well. They would just need the the division tiebreaker of intradivision record between yeah. everybody else. But yes, they yeah. would. They win. They go three up, and then they could clinch the AFC East on Christmas Eve with the win against Chicago. Yeah, they would go two and two in the division. The Bills would go three and two in the division. Um, the Bills would have a eight and two conference record. And the Dolphins would have a six and four conference record. Yeah. All those tiebreakers would, would shift towards Buffalo so that even if they did, if the Bills did drop their final three games and the Dolphins won theirs, the Bills would still be ahead of them, I think, because, well, of, the, yeah. because of the way that the, the, uh, the schedule. Well, no, falls. because they're not, they're not clinching the division this week if they beat Miami. Yeah, there's that still that possibility. They, if yeah. no, if no, no, Buffalo no. loses week 18 against the Patriots and Miami wins and beats the Jets. Yeah. Because both teams have three AFC games in their last four. And that's that's the difference because you can't really beat them on the uh, conference tiebreaker. So, Alec, what about matchups this weekend? What 
helps the Bills the best? What, um, what could hurt them in terms of division and conference? So when I wrote the who to root for last week and did a breakdown, I said root for the Ravens, even though they have uh, an advantage in the AFC. But you still want to root for the Ravens this week against the Browns because it helps with the Bengals. Right, Because if we're concerned about the Bengals potentially sneaking in, beating Buffalo, and holding that head-to-head tiebreaker, it helps for Baltimore to be... So it's kind of like a bird-in-the-hand thing. You yes. already beat Baltimore. You would have the tiebreaker on them if they won their division and you won yours. Correct. So right. the Bills would need uh, the Ravens to beat the Browns this week. And then likewise, bang- the Bengals are at the Bucks. Tom Brady struggled, but he's going back home to Tampa Bay this week after being out in San Fran. So Bengals at Bucks is another one. Uh, and then in, your, in the division, Jets and Lions. That, that might be one of the better matchups on that Sunday. 1 p.m., it's even, it's in Detroit. Lions, could be, are, they're playing for a playoff spot just yep. like the Jets. Uh, the one thing to note about the Jets is if the Bills win Saturday, the Jets cannot win the AFC East. They would be playing for a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, Detroit at 6-7, six and seven, they're in the nine hole in the NFC. But Washington and the Giants, who hold the six and seven seeds, are playing each other this week. And so a sixth loss brings the loser of that game down closer to the rest of the teams in the hunt. Obviously, Seattle's in that picture also. But Detroit, they got to look at it here <laughs> with four games left. They're gonna, it's not like they're going to the Jets and like, oh, yeah, we'll play this game, whatever. There's something right. on the line for them. They got a legitimate shot if they can stay hot here down the stretch. So... Well, Steve yeah. and I have been arguing about they, the Detroit and Jets game. He thinks yeah. the Jets are going to lump up the Lions, and I think the Lions are going to surprise the Jets. Not on the Lions bandwagon, Steve? I am not, uh, although that doesn't mean uh, – I am on the Jet bandwagon. They're good. They played the best team in the conference tough twice and split with them. Um, that's the Bills. They also got swept by the Patriots. I know it was both times with Zach Wilson. Right. Strength of schedule doesn't matter really in the NFL, but it look, makes the Bills win yeah. on Thanksgiving look a little bit better. No, no question. Um, yeah, in the tiebreakers and all that strength of schedules way down the list of tiebreakers, but it does mean something as the kind of team you've put together. And the Bills have got a, have had a really tough schedule. They've been injured throughout the season, and they're still the one seed. So nobody's done it better than they have thus far. All right, so let's talk best case and worst case scenarios here going forward. With as you know, with things as they currently stand here, Alec, what are we what are we looking at? Yeah, so best be- case scenario. Best case scenario this week, week fifteen only. Bills win, followed by a Jets loss, a Patriots loss, a Chiefs loss, and a Bengals loss. Lots of you need a lot of losses, but that's the best case. scenario. That would scenario. be like a lottery ticket, <laughs> right? Right. Again, this is this is a dream best scenario. Case. Yeah, best case. Bills hey. go up three in the AFC East and now have. A one game, Correct. full one game lead plus the tiebreaker over Kansas City for the one seed. Kansas City is though. playing Houston, but yeah, this week. that's that's gonna be <laughs> the feisty Houston Texans. Come on, Texas. Come on, Houston. Um, well, listen, we were here at the end of the 2017 regular season with the Bills at the end of the drought, and it's like the Bills had to win, and like three other teams had to lose, yeah. lose, and by all that did. last one did. So we'll see. I'm not, All right. you, know, you don't count that before it hatches, that's for sure. Uh, as you said, the Bills have a little breathing room in the division, so a loss wouldn't be catastrophic from that standpoint. But for a number one seed, it's a different story. So maybe just lay out 
as much as I don't want you to, the worst case right. scenario. <laughs> right. So AFC East, let's start there. If the Bills were to drop on Sunday, did the Dolphins lose that game? Saturday, yeah. Or on Saturday, yeah. The division odds, they would still be favored to win the division going down the stretch with three games remaining. The Bills, it would shift the prob- the the timing of when the Bills could clinch a playoff spot and mm, the division. Right, right. Uh, so it would, you would just shift it a week. They would go week 16 against Chicago would be the playoff clincher if they were to lose to Miami. And then right. week 17, if they won that one against Cincinnati, that would be the target date for clinching the AFC East. And then you're just kind of hoping and praying that Kansas City loses another one along the way. They still have yeah, Denver sure. and they still have to play uh, the Raiders as well. Yeah, the Chiefs have the easiest strength of schedule in the league down the stretch here. I think it's been that way for the last six weeks. Their schedule is pretty tame after the NA, the AFC West kind of fell flat on their face behind them this year. The Chiefs absolutely and the Ravens have a very easy on. schedule too. They do, but they're down but to they their have third. One more time, do they, they play Cincy one more time? Yes, I think they do, right? Uh, and the Steelers one more time, who they just beat, but they're down to their third string quarterback, Anthony Brown. So it, it could be yeah. some potential room there for for <laughs> right. Cincinnati that could to. Make that's going to make that Week 17 game between the Bills and the Bengals very interesting because if by the time we get to that game, the Bengals have taken over the division lead in the AFC North over the Ravens, Bills are going to want that game so they have another tiebreaker. head-to-head tiebreaker. And that goes yeah. back to what we were saying earlier about you're, you kind of want the Ravens still to, yeah. to be winning right now. Yeah, well, yeah, the Chiefs right now are sleepwalking through games. I mean, they, they absolutely well, snooze. Well, they can. They snooze-fest the Denver Broncos. They, Seattle might be their hardest game <laughs> left. And it's uh, at home in Arrowhead. Yeah, unless you count the Broncos giving them a game as the real thing. Yeah, well, they didn't last week. Right. I mean, well, they, they did, did for a little while. 28 to 34. But then, the, but that was in Denver. The next one's going to be at home. Ah, forget it. It's not yeah, And the Raider. Yeah, they, Can't bank on that. Alec, thank you, as always, for uh, bringing us up to speed here. We'll uh, be sure to check in with you next week as we uh, dial up and, you know, do the math on what happened in Week 15. So we'll see you in Week 16. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks very much. That's Alec right, White, contact coordinator, Bills reporter for buffalobills.com. We will take a break here. Be back with more, including your phone calls next on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Oh, snap! Snapdragon apples are now available. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples. Now available at Wegmans. Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Those things got a long shelf life, Steve. I, I, you know, the food doesn't disappear as fast now in my house with my kids in college. I don't know. I had a couple of apples still left over in there. They were almost two weeks old. And, you know, you worry. You're, yeah. you're pushing it there yeah, at that they point. Little, they get a little mushy. Pulled a Snapdragon out, crunchy as it was the day I bought it. Unbelievable. <laughs> crunchy as it was the day I bought Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. There you go. I was very, I was very <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Uh, we got to get back to the phones at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. And next up is Judy in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Judy? You know, I, I think the Bills' problem stems way back to the draft. They went heavy on defense, and, and none of those players are even on the field playing at any significant time. Uh, maybe, maybe Cook has helped us to some degree. But before the draft, I called in, and you were asking, you know, who should the Bills take? And I was very high on a six foot four, 
4.38 wide receiver called Christian Watson. He was available. They didn't take him. The Green Bay Packers did in the second round. And if I'm not mistaken, he has eight touchdowns in the last four games. What an impact this player could have. We wouldn't even be talking about uh, Beasley and Brown at this point if he were on this team. Yeah, that's I get it. Uh, here's the thing you got to remember too, and I and I that may. Yes, Judy, you're right. Um, it's a valid point. Going back and looking at the draft, you can always say should have taken this guy or that guy. No question about it. Um, I didn't have a problem with any of the things we did because we thought they needed a corner because of Tre'Davious White being injured. And they got Kyrie Elam. And, and they lost Levi Wallace in free agency. And they lost free – right. So, yeah, I get it. Um, I'm not I, – I don't know. I, I have a hard time going down that road because it's a rabbit hole, no question. But they're 10-3, and three and they're number one in the conference. They've had the toughest schedule in the league. They haven't done too much wrong. Well, and I think we also have to put ourselves back where we were in April, Steve. And back where we were in April, we were fully confident that Gabriel Davis, who at that point in time, the last time we saw him on a football field, scored four touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs in a divisional playoff game, that he was going to be ready to assume the true number two wide receiver role. So the need was not perceived to be what it is now. Um, And people were pretty confident that Isaiah McKenzie – could fill a slot role. They had signed Jamison Crowder in free agency at that point in time. So even if McKenzie didn't pan out, you had Crowder as insurance, a veteran player with proven production for the slot receiver role. So I think looking at the roster on paper and based on recent past production, Gabe Davis, four touchdowns in the divisional playoff, Isaiah McKenzie filling in for the one time he did Cole Beasley in week 16, dropping 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown against New England in prime time, you, I think it's reasonable to say they thought they would be okay going forward and maybe they would supplement the back end of the roster with a receiver prospect, which they did in the form of Khalil Shakir. Obviously, here we are now in week 15 of the 2022 season. Gabe Davis hasn't fully assumed a true number two wide receiver role. And Isaiah McKenzie has not been able to replicate the production of Cole Beasley. As a matter of fact, those two guys together haven't replicated the production of Cole Beasley. Is it a problem? Yeah, it is. And that's why they brought John Brown and Cole Beasley back, because they want to have some kind of answer. And, you know, Jamison Crowder is still on injured reserve, although I think he's getting yeah, closer I, to a return. So you, you can't treat it in a vacuum. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I get your point, Judy, and I – and. Truth be told, I think you're looking at this team taking a receiver in the first two rounds of the draft next spring yeah. for sure. Yeah, they're going to bring in down. Some, they're going to bring in some competition just like they've done already. They brought in Naheem Hines. They brought in uh, uh, Crowder for that matter. Uh, they brought in um, John Brown, Cole Beasley, all these guys uh, as competition to keep the fire lit. And in case, and because of their experience with this club and in this culture, they can be closer to being ready on a shortened back half of the season here with four games to go and and playoffs. So, yeah, they brought these guys back for a reason because they're closer to being able to contribute. And they don't have to contribute over six months. Just 
in in a best case scenario, just give us finish us a game. You know, you're up. A guy goes down, just give us 35 snaps over the course of two games to get us through the playoffs, make a couple of plays. That's what you're looking at with a guy like Cole Beasley, even John Brown. Well, just make the offense more efficient. They don't even have to come in and finish the whole season as the number two or number three wide receiver. You're looking at these guys as, like relief okay, pitchers. just come in, finish us this game, and make about four catches over the last three quarters of this game, and you're going to be we're gold. That's all we need. That kind of thing is what you're looking at. But I I agree with you. Think about it. If you if you go back and do the draft all over again, the Bills probably do. If they don't like Kyer Kyer Leadham's having trouble getting on the field, all of a sudden they do take the best wide receiver, the guy that now you look at this season, you say, okay, hey, wow, look at this wide receiver. You take him, right? You yeah. take Christian Benford the, exactly where you took him, and he's your starting corner on opening day, just like he was this year. I mean, there's a lot of things you do differently if you go back in time. I, I get it. Um, teams have been, you know, we as fans, we do that constantly. But Brownie's right. You go back and where we were at that point, this, this team was a steamroller. And you're just, you're just you're painting a mural on the side of it. I mean, basically is what you're doing. This, yeah. this team was going. So um, I'm not too interested in – in hitting the panic switch because the team is winning these games and all of a sudden, you know, you need you didn't beat the Jets by enough to feel good about your offense. Well, the Chiefs beat the beat the Broncos by less than the Bills beat the Jets. The Cowboys beat the Houston Texans by less than the Bills beat the Jets. So calm down with the we got it, we should have done so much differently back in April. Because um, we're the Bills are exactly where they envision themselves being at this point of the regular season. Break time for us here, but when we return for hour number two, we're going to be joined by senior NFL writer for Outkick.com, Armando Salguero, who's joining us for hour number two next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And going to talk a little Dolphins now with our good friend, senior NFL writer from Outkick.com, one Armando Salguero, who joins us on the show. Armando, how you doing? You're making the trip this week, huh? I am making the trip. It's a big game, so why not? All right. Well, where's? Well, how come you don't have snow in your background this week then? Come on, you got to get ready. Well, you guys showed me the uh, the stadium as it looks now, so I'm just, you know, doing what I do. I, I'm staying warm and toasty. Armando, <laughs> let me just say this. I would wager you don't have enough clothes in your closet to watch this game outside here in Buffalo. That is a losing bet by you. You got because... you have cold weather gear? Oh, my God, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, look. I'm 
Oh, he froze. His oh, my God, he's so cold, he froze. He's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Armando right as he was going to pontificate about his cold weather gear. Well, here's oh, the that's thing. a tough break. Here's the thing. People, people from warmer cities tend to overcompensate when they know they're traveling to northern locales where well, there's cold weather, so they will bring let me just, more than they need very often. Here's my problem, because we, you know, back when I played, and even now, and even with the snowstorm we had a couple of weeks ago, you have people come, we always had people coming in for the game. Yeah. And so I always had spare wardrobe for everybody. Oh, like okay. I had <laughs> ski pants, I had parkas, hats, gloves. We had all that extra stuff that we would let people use. So let Armando! You're, so you have a lot of cold weather gear going because we just missed that. Yeah, see, so like I was covering the NFL when the Bills were going to back to back to back to back Super Bowls. And typically what would happen is they would have to play uh, in Buffalo and they did play in Buffalo. I remember one and the Dolphins played a lot in Buffalo, by the way. Yeah. In December. And so I was there for the Lewis Oliver getting destroyed by uh, by Andre Reid. I was there for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Bills uh, AFC championship game. I know what it's what it means to be cold in Buffalo. <laughs> and uh, I learned a lesson 30 years ago. And it's not a lesson that I've forgotten. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have all of my gear ready and at my disposal if I if I need to have it. All right, Good all right. For well, you, then. this time around, Armando, uh, it's it's some int- there are some interesting storylines. Uh, the Bills are significantly healthier on defense than they were back in Week Three when they were missing five starters, and then they started dropping like flies in the 120 degree heat on the Bills sideline. Um, and the Dolphins' offense had yet to really kick into gear back then. It, it obviously has since. But then the last two weeks, one against the best defense in the league in San Francisco, the other against a not-so-great defense in the L.A. Chargers. And people are wondering, has the blueprint been unveiled as to how to slow down this Dolphins' attack? And has Tua turned into a pumpkin? <laughs> wow. Uh, we're going all Cinderella here. So as far as the blueprint is concerned, it depends on which blueprint the Bills want to pick because the San Francisco 49ers basically befuddled and beriddled the Dolphins offense playing mostly zone against the Dolphins offense. And it worked. And then the Chargers came back and played mostly press man against the Dolphins offense. Right. And that worked. And so it's up to the Bills to decide which way they want to go because in the last two weeks, Tua Tungavailoa has been under 50% completion percentage combined against the Chargers and the 49ers when he's seeing two different approaches to, to stopping their passing game, which is, by the way, the bulk of their attack because their running game has been uh, kind of a disappointment this year. Well, why do you think – what all of a sudden then, if if everything seemed to be working against the Dolphins' offense, why wasn't it working during that stretch when they were take, you know, they were beating everybody going away? I mean, what happened 
uh, to their ability to overcome that stuff? Well, I think uh, in part, you guys just mentioned it before. The first time that they played the Bills, I think the Bills' entire secondary was out. (laughs) And so that's problematic and good for the Dolphins. They played the Baltimore Ravens. They got behind by like 28 points, and they started throwing the ball down the field. And the Ravens came away with like four uh, busts in the deep secondary, gave up the lead, and the Ravens went on to do that two or three more times during the year. So it wasn't so much that the Dolphins were doing something amazing. It was that the Ravens were being the Ravens in the secondary and just blowing coverages, which they've done a lot this season and blowing four leads late in the fourth quarter. So you get that kind of thing. Detroit, by the way, the Dolphins lit up the Detroit Lions in the secondary The next day, the secondary coach got fired because apparently the game plan was one thing and they played a different thing in the game, which is stunning to me because you prepare all week to do the one thing and then come game day on Sunday, you're not doing that one thing that you prepared all week to do. So, yeah, that's why the secondary coach got fired the next day. Give us an idea, if you could, Armando, as to the the interpretation of these last two games by Dolphins fans. Are they in panic mode now that they've lost two straight and the offense has not looked like what it did the previous six weeks? Um, What's the general consensus down there of the offense after these past two performances? Well, uh, you you have to understand the – The context of it all is that the Dolphin fans are really behind Tua for the most part. And so the narrative is in the fan base, good players have bad, bad games. And he's happened to string two of them together back to back. Uh, So that's that narrative. As far as the greater narrative is, They're still in the playoff race. They're still in the playoff hunt. Uh, If the season ended today, I hate that phrase, uh, but if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs as a wild card. The thing that just blows my mind is that the last two weeks, it's kind of knocked the Dolphins from let's go to Buffalo and compete for a division title to let's go to Buffalo, and even if the worst happens, we're still in the playoffs. Those are two very different things in my book. And I would say to you, if any of that thinking is shared within the locker room, they've got problems on Saturday night. How good do you? How good were they? We were up here, and of course we're we're neck deep in Buffalo Bills stuff up here. So you hear kind of the the superficial coverage of the Dolphins, and of course during that stretch when, you know, they're winning five games in a row, they were crushing it offensively, and it looked like they had turned the corner and found everything they'd ever, you know, all their hopes and dreams were going to come true this year. Um, What was going right for them? Well, they have arguably the most dynamic wide receiver in the NFL, and I'm not saying that he's the best wide receiver, but Tyreek Hill – 
can you can stop him for you know 57 plays and he'll have three plays in the game that are lightning bolts in fact last week in a loss he recovers a fumble recovers a fumble and he goes 57 yards for a touchdown which you know humans don't do uh he he just does things that are dangerous. So that was happening. Jalen Waddle was benefiting from from the fact that defenses are afraid of Tyreek Hill, and the running game was good enough, and the offensive line was healthier. It's less healthy now. Teron Armstead, who is their left tackle, is kind of dragging. He's got a foot injury. He's got other issues that aren't really out there. Uh, Waddle has not been at the forefront as a number one receiver when Tyreek has been shut down. And the fact is the defenses have decided, okay, we're going to challenge Tyreek instead of being afraid of Tyreek. We're going to roll coverages to Tyreek. We're going to, you know, we're going to man press like the Chargers did. It's a different it's a different approach and it has obviously gotten different results. Let's flip it around, Armando, because lost in the defeat at the hands of the Chargers, with you know the Dolphins offense being kept under wraps, was the fact that Justin Herbert threw for 367 yards. Um, this is a defense that was, you know, just a year ago armed with a pair of top shelf cornerbacks. Byron Jones has not been part of the equation almost the entire season. It doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. And I understand that's a story in and of itself. But this is a defense now, Armando, that's 23rd against the pass. Um, they add Bradley Chubb. No offense to Bradley Chubb, but, I mean, he just looks like another guy out there. Jalen Phillips has been more impressive than Bradley Chubb the last few weeks. And they paid that guy $125 million sight unseen in a uniform. Help me out with this defense. What's going on? Yeah, the Bradley Chubb uh, situation has been up to now a disappointment because they brought him in to be the closer and the guy that uh, when you're protecting a lead late in the game, he knows that you have to pass and it's going to be bad for you. Sound familiar? Um, so he hasn't really done that to be honest with you the last couple of games there's been no opportunity to close because they've been trailing so that's problematic for Bradley Chubb uh the rest of the defense look Byron Jones has been out all year um I know for a fact that when he was playing the last couple of years the Bills decided he was the guy that they were going to pick on so because they didn't want any part of Xavier Howard Xavier Howard is still playing, and everybody else in that secondary playing cornerback or nickel is kind of a guy. And as far as last year, last year, we got to remember, they started out something like 0-7 or 1-7. Right, 1-7. And, and then they rallied late in the season to win like six games in a row. And what people forget, is that during the one and seven, they were playing good quarterbacks. And during the six win winning streak, 
They were playing horrible quarterbacks. Wonder if that made any impact on the results of the game. Uh, yeah, it did. It absolutely did. When you're playing, you know, uh, third stringers and, and because the, the starter is hurt, when you're playing Joe Flacco, who doesn't want to really get hit late in the season, that kind of thing is what the Dolphins faced late last season that made the, the, the look of the defense seem way better than it probably was. And you get, let's talk a little bit about their secondary. They were, you know, the Bills, uh, the first meeting, really didn't get a chance to take advantage of it, except early in the game when the Bills were fresh. I mean, their first drive of the game, they went right down the field, scored a touchdown, went for it on a fourth and goal from the two and threw it in uh, to Devin Singletary. How has this secondary evolved. I mean, I see, I see Fedulum has taken some snaps at safety. I see him in there once in a while. Uh, I, I noticed that the other day. Um, yeah, Eric Rowe got hurt. Ig, Igbenogany uh, seems to be kind of buried back there. Is he, is he taking reps? Give us a, an idea no. about their corners. Yeah, so their corners are not Byron Jones. And, and Nick Needham is out who was their, their uh, slot corner. And so what you're getting is backup guys. And the Bills have been in the same situation this year, as you guys know. They, they've played backup corners a lot. The, the, the difference this game is now the Bills are coming to this game with a healthy secondary, with a blueprint for stopping Tua if they want to choose those blueprints and the Dolphins, on the other hand, are coming to this game kind of reeling because, yes, Justin Herbert lit them up. And, yes, Brock Purdy, who was Mr. Irrelevant, having been the last draft pick uh, selected in the last draft, he didn't light them up, but he didn't show any fear, and he attacked them. And he threw two touchdown passes against them. And, you know, they got gobbled up. So the Dolphins are kind of like trying to hold serve because they've been on the retreat the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I would say to you that Josh Allen should have a great game on Sunday. Let's see if he does. Um, excuse me, on Saturday night. Okay. And then... I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think Miami has had to experience poor weather yet. Um, there's a pretty good chance that there will be one to three inches of snow on the ground that fall during the game. Uh, what weather challenges, if any, have the Dolphins experienced this season? Right. Yeah, it's rained a couple of times. <laughs> uh, and that's been about it. Uh they are not or have not historically been a great end of season bad outdoor weather team with the exception maybe being in 2016 when they went up to Buffalo and beat the Bills and, you know, went on to the playoffs. Uh, but going back to Don Shula, they are a team that has struggled late in the season. And I really have never understood it because, you know, these guys, 
the Miami Dolphins play in Miami, but their roster is not all Miamians. These guys come from, you know, all, all parts and, and all weights unknown, right? I mean, they, they, they come from up north. They've seen snow. They've played in it. They're not unfamiliar with it. And yet I don't I get the, the heat uh, advantage that they have early because they practice in the heat. But the answer to uh, cold weather is put on clothes. And so what's the problem? <laughs> I don't get that. Uh, the one thing I would say is Tua Tonga Vailoa, he you know, he had a terrible game up there a couple of years ago. Um because the balls were going all over the place and it was just a disaster. His arm strength is not, in my opinion, built for Buffalo, not built for the Meadowlands in December and January. That's where I think it matters. Yeah, I would agree with that. And this, this game being in December in Buffalo, I, it's it's going to be a weather game. You're going to have to overcome some stuff. And, I, and I'll and i say this, Armando, yeah, I get it. When you come up and all you got to do is put clothes on for the answer to cold weather, the problem is this. It's hard to run, jump, and turn, and twist, and carry the ball when you got layers on. And it feels funky for a lot of guys to handle the ball with sleeves between your arm and the ball. Um, and I, I've long advocated for a, a technology to come out. You know, they got these the gloves – that are tacking guys can carry the ball with one hand, like a loaf of bread nowadays. And nobody leaks twice about it because the gloves are so sticky. The ball doesn't come out. They don't make, they don't have that for the arms and the sleeves and the, and the chest. When you hold the ball up here tight, it's really slippery. That bothers mentally a lot of guys, particularly the ball handlers who catch the ball a certain way with their arms and their body. If they do that, it's a real problem. And I think that really gets into the mind of some of these guys. Fair. Um, Tyreek Hill played in Kansas City, yeah, for six years, right? Uh, not, not, not a wonderful place in January. It's cold in Kansas not City, a, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, I, look, I, I totally get it, Steve, and and I totally understand that it's bad. It's also a bad look if any of the Miami Dolphins say what you just said. Yeah, yeah, because. <laughs> right? Because people like me will destroy them. I get and that, it. And that's why we have Armando on the show. That's right. Uh, you go ahead and destroy him, yeah, Armando. Go ahead. That's uh, great. Listen, Armando, thanks very much. Safe travels up here uh, on Thursday. We look forward to seeing you at the game. And thanks, as always, for the time. It's always my pleasure, guys. All right. Armando Salguero, senior NFL writer for Outkick.com, talking Dolphins with us. And... I think the other thing that we didn't really discuss with him, Steve, is the psyche of this football team. Because outside of the three games that they lost early in the year, which, by the way, happened when Tua was in concussion protocol, it was easy for them to explain that away. Ah, we didn't have our starting quarterback. You know, we, sure. How do you expect us to win games, you know, against these kinds of teams and blah, blah, blah? They had an easy out. Mentally, I think, right. to kind of explain those losses away. I don't know that you have that now. 
because you have Tua, who's been the best quarterback in the league from a passer rating standpoint, from a QBR standpoint, from a completion percentage standpoint. He's been lights out for like six, seven weeks, and he's rocketed to the top of the league in quarterback rating. And now you play the number one defense in San Francisco on the road. You lose. Okay, you played the best defense in football. Yeah, it didn't go our way today. That's fine. But then the next week, you come out against, at best, Steve, a middle-of-the-road defense, lower third defense. <laughs> at best. Riddled with right. injuries. No J.C. Jackson. No Joey Bosa. No Sebastian Joseph Day. No Derwin James. They're missing five starters on defense, and you can't do anything. You're 3 of 17 passing at halftime. Don't tell me doubt has not crept into that locker room. And I'll say this, and we're showing the highlights now. Um, and you've, you've mentioned it, Brownie, a bunch. What the, the thing that you noticed about the Charger defense is that they kept the wide receivers to the outside, outside the numbers. They had inside leverage on all of their route combinations. Every And what that means is the receivers have to cross your face. They have to go through a guy to get open. And what that does is scares a quarterback off the throw. They're covered, basically. Because if you want to run inside, you're going to run towards the defender, which is the last place you want to go as a receiver, right? So so then, typically, and this is what the Dolphins did too, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get these guys down the sidelines. If they're having inside – Leverage, we're going to send our guys down outside the numbers and go out, throw it outside the numbers, down the field. And so they did that, and they they hit a couple, but here's the thing. Like the Tyreek Hill pass, when they get, their feet got tangled up, he was open anyway, but Tua hit him. The defender falls down because he, he clips his foot on Tyreek Hill's ankle, and he goes down, and Tyreek's by himself, and he walks into the end zone. That was a, a typical play. The problem is this, and we showed it on the we're – all, we're all sitting here in Buffalo. We watch Josh throw those balls. Josh puts it out there, and, man, that thing sings when it gets out of his hand. It sizzles out of his hand. Tua lets it go, and that thing goes way up high in the air. Oh, it looks like a lollipop. It is, it is up in the air for a long time, and it doesn't, it doesn't have – it just – because of that, it doesn't have the velocity. And – there's just so much ground covered by the receiver, the defensive players, the safeties who are breaking on the ball. Because the ball's in the air, that split second longer, things change a lot more when it gets comes down. Um, and, and it's, it's harder, harder to, to maintain hit. separation it's, as a receiver. It's, and it's hard to anticipate how open your guy's going to be with that extra half second of air time the ball has to take. In, in essence, it's like what Armando said, and we've been – Bill's fans crush Tua all the time for this anyway. His arm is not Josh Allen's arm. It's, no. not just, it's not Justin Herbert's arm. It's not Joe Burrow's arm. It's not Matt Stafford's arm. Not Mahomes' arm. I mean, you can go down – not Trevor Lawrence's arm. I mean, it's, you're talking like Matt Ryan arm. Yeah. You know? I mean – Phillip Rivers' arm. Yeah. <clears throat> you're, you're Peyton Manning arm. At the end of it all, it's just it's that different. that is a limiting factor in what the throws the quarterback can execute. And right now, you're right, Brownie. Defenses these last couple of defenses we've seen top def- one top defense and the other one a middle of the road defense 
are executing a game plan to force Tua to make throws that are hard for him. Yeah, throw it outside the numbers. Beat us that way. That same thing they do with Lamar Jackson. Yep. Because he's not as accurate outside. He's got the arm strength to get it out there. Lamar does, but he doesn't have the accuracy. And that's that's a that's a that's a wider margin of error for the quarterback than having less of an arm. Yeah. So Lamar's got less of a margin of error than Tua does because he can sling it. He can get it out there. Um, But I think that's where we're sitting with Tua. And then you come in and you add cold and snow to the mix. you got a native Hawaiian playing. And a guy whose name is Tonga Vailoa. <laughs> You've got a Polynesian name. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But that's the last couple of weeks, that has been the thing that's jumped out about their losses. Break time for us here. When we return, the Bills legend of the year will be joining us. You might know him if you've been watching Bills football long enough. His name is Butch Roll. It's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by the Bills Legend of the Year, which is presented by the BFLO Store, the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. It is none other than former Bills tight end Butch Roll, who was named the 2022 Bills Legend of the Year for his tireless efforts in supporting the community with his community service initiatives. Butch, congratulations, first of all. Uh, how did you get the word, and when did you get the word? Thank you. Thank you, guys, for having me. Um, honestly, I guess the word, about a week ago, Jeremy, I don't know, Jeremy played some trick on me. He was calling me, texting me, and I was out and about. He was texting me, telling me to get a hold of him. I thought it was something that we were about to do with the legends in Buffalo. So when I contacted him, we were talking, and I asked him about the um, the nominations. Just going, you know, because I remember seeing the application. So I asked him, I said, how's that going? Did anybody get chosen? Because I remember last year Mark Maddox won it. So I'm asking him. He said, yeah, it was a close race, man. It's had a lot of good, you know, foundations that, you know, was up in the runnings. And, you know, with that being said, you're the winner. I'm like, really? You know, I stopped for a second and started laughing. I said, get out of here. But, yeah, see, uh, that's how I found out about a week ago. And, you know, I'm humbled and I'm grateful and thankful at the same time because, I've been doing this for a while. I know we're, we're a smaller foundation, but we're effective. Like I said, still waters run deep. And that's all that matters. I'm affecting the community, helping kids in Florida, Buffalo, Texas, North Carolina, anywhere there's a build backers following. I'm there trying to support and give these kids a better education, which is my mission. So I, that's when I found out, and you know, I'm grateful. Yeah, Butch, I'm, I'm, let me say I'm really proud of you. I've, I've attended a couple of your events um, here in Buffalo, and it's, it's really – I love your events because they're – you know, <laughs> I, 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 listen, we both love Jim Kelly and stuff, and his events are these huge mega – you know, they're just huge <laughs> yeah. things. And I love yours because you just go, and it's a bunch of friends getting together. You raise money. You, you sell some stuff. And you give it to the kids, and it's—I just think it's awesome. And I'm glad. And you do it more often, I think, maybe than anybody um, that I ever played with or have seen since. I mean, you—you you do a couple of three or four, or five, six of these a year, and a, and a number of them are here in Buffalo. And uh, I'm really glad. I'm really proud of you for getting the, recognized for the work you've done, and and for the, you know, for the dedication that you put into it uh, year in year out. Just thanks so much for being a part of the community, and congratulations. 
Oh, Steve, thank you, man. You know, you're my man. We played together. We had fun times out there. And, you know, I've always, every time I have an event in Buffalo, you're always the first one I call. I said, let me see if Steve's going to be in town so I can get him over there. And like you said, Jim's, I love Jim's event, too. You know, we've been going there for the past 15, yeah. 16 years. And it's a mob house, and it's awesome to see all the guys come back. But I thought, you know, that's it's a big event, and that's great. I love it. He's doing great things. Jim's been, you know, he's the man. He's a pillar there. Yeah, he is. And I always appreciate, and I always appreciate you being able to show up, man, when you can. Because that means a lot to me. Because I know we don't have a lot of guys that we play together that's in the area. So the ones that do show up for the events, man, it's very good to see you guys. But it's a brotherhood, man. Right. It warms my heart. When I see you guys, my heart goes, it gets filled with joy because I start thinking back and reflecting on the days we've played together in the locker room, just, you know, bonding together as a brotherhood and winning a lot of games, you know, AFC championship games, special teams. We're out there acting like maniacs on the special team together. It's just a fun time, man. And I really appreciate your support coming in, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you have a lot going on just to show your face, whether it's for a half hour, an hour, but you do it, and that's that's appreciative for me. All right, so, Butch, just for fans that aren't familiar, maybe just paint a picture for them, you know, on what, on what the Butch Roll Foundation does because, you know, you guys have been around almost 10 years now. Yes, we started back in 2012. Actually, I started before then because I, I was helping out with Little League football, and, you know, these inner-city kids didn't have the uh, means of buy, purchasing, buying cleats or having uniforms. So I was coming out of my own pocket buying cleats for them, you know, getting them food. And then I came across some sponsors that was, you know, pretty um, – that came part of the foundation that was donating every year. And once I established the foundation, then I set up my mission to have scholarships being given to underprivileged kids because these kids I see every day in the Florida area and different areas that struggle. Some of them are babysitters. They take care of their kid, their kid brothers and sisters while the mom, one single parent home, the mom is working two jobs. So they're taking care of the kids, being a babysitter and a big brother and have to, you know, deal with schoolwork at the same time. And they struggle when it comes to filling out financial aid and getting money for scholarships. So I said, you know what, that's the area I want to focus on. The kids that have the money, they don't need it. It's the underprivileged kids. So they apply for the scholarship at the end of the year, and we present them. You know, I choose the ones I want to present at graduations, and they're happy. They're they're appreciated, and they come back and thank us all the time. Right, and and it, you continue to do this. You've been doing it for ten years. And how many events? I mean, you, you, I know you do this not just in Buffalo, but around. How many events have you had over the last, say, twelve months? Oh my God, Steve! <laughs> Listen, last the last two years, I think I've been an event every single game. I have. I think with the exception of maybe Thanksgiving, I was in St. Louis, but I I'm at an event every game, every Bills game. I'm doing something whether it's small or big, but I'm doing something. So it's a nonstop continuous thing during the season because that's the time I take advantage of the Bills back who love to participate and love, you know, former players being there in their presence and yelling and screaming with them and having a good time and doing raffles, 50-50s, all the things that help the foundation, you know, accumulate funds to help these kids. And it's, it's an every week thing, Steve, I promise you that, yeah. so for the past two years. All right, so Butch, why don't you give me some of your thoughts on you know what you think of the team this year? I mean, ten and three, they're atop the AFC conference. Uh, injuries have been a bugaboo for them all year long, but still sitting atop the AFC. Just how many games have you caught? I know you're probably busy during games, you know, doing your community stuff. But in the games you've watched, what have you thought? 
No, listen, I am. I've watched every game, and I watch every game, regardless, even at the events. I'm there. It's on every TV in the bar, so I'm watching it. If I'm not doing an event, I'm still watching. You know, I'm, a, I'm an avid Bills fan. That's, I'm a Bills at heart. I live in Miami. I don't like Miami Dolphins fans. They are not real fans. I tell everybody that. I wear my Buffalo gear down there. You know, they don't like it, but, you know, that's funny. A funny thing, I had a buddy come to my house the other day, and he laughed because he looked around and he said, dude, you're from Florida. You don't have not one thing that represents Miami as far as sports-wise because you know, I have my Michigan State items in my home and Buffalo gear. That's all I have. Michigan State, I'm Buffalo. I don't have nothing, no University of Miami, no, no Miami Dolphins. And I tell him, I say, dude, I'm loyal. I don't care what you say. I don't need that group for another team. I know I've been born and raised here, but my heart is in Buffalo, man. These are real loyal fans, and I love the Bills. And my, my, listen, I tell everybody, this team always reminds me of us, Steve. You know, they have the talent. We, you know, we had a squad, and this is what they remind me of us. You know, you have your modern-day Jim Kelly, which is Josh Allen, you know, and then you have the receiving core. You know, you have Doc Dawson Knox. I just seen him the other night. I like his play, his style of play. You know, I just wish they can get him the ball a little more. But I, I feel good about it. Honestly, I feel like – we're going to be definitely be in um, Phoenix this year. I'm planning on being in Phoenix. Right. Last year I had my – I'm just telling you, that's just how I, I look at this team. They, I know the injuries plays a big part, but they just – you know, we have players that have to step up at this point. This is like – this is the time you separate the pretenders from the contenders. Yeah. That's just how I look at it. So they have to step up and play in every game. That, that, that last game against the Jets was, a, you know, that was a scratching call on game, man. These guys, you know, it reminded me of us, Steve, when we played some. We had games like that. You have to keep shipping away at that monument till you get that masterpiece, and at the end of the day, you win the game and go home and thank God for that win and just you know go on to the next week. So I know the grueling schedule. Good stuff, good stuff, Butch. Thanks so much for being on. Congratulations on being the Legend of the Year this year, and I'm looking forward to crossing you, paths man. with you soon. Hopefully, we'll cross paths in Arizona. I, we'll we, see. Hey, All right. Absolutely, brother. All right, man. God bless, man. Thanks. All right. That's Butch Roll, former Bills tight end, and voted. The Bills' legend of the year for 2022 for his continued support and dedication to community service. We will take a break here. Steve and I will come back to wrap things up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. See, so the one thing we did not do today was answer the topic of discussion ourselves. Have the Bills properly equipped themselves for the stretch run? What say you? Well, I think they've been properly equipped for three years, despite the changing pieces. <clears throat> they've got what they need, and they've had it for a long time. The question is, can they you know, do it on the games that matter? We said it last year. You've uh, said it for three years. I've said it for three years, they're, and they're still there. Uh, they – are good enough to go to and win the Super Bowl, and they have been for, you know, what, 36 months. So, uh, but they, you know, they don't do it in a vacuum. you got to play well on a on a day when it's a win or go home. A 13-second game or a game like, or whether it's a 13-second game or whether it's a game like they had here against the New England Patriots where they were perfect uh, and scored a touchdown on every possession and never punted. you got to play well on those days. Um and they're going to have those – they've got those days in their future this year. Whether it's having to play on wild card weekend or whether it's having a bye week and, and going straight to the divisional round, either way, they're good enough to win any game they kick it off in this season. And they're going to get a chance to do it again. 
Um, you see this with the Chiefs. They slept walk through that game against the Broncos yesterday because they're waiting. They want. They know they're gonna. The playoff games are what matter. The Bills need to show that they know that too. Yeah, I think the only thing is, yes, they've properly equipped themselves. I will agree. Injuries have robbed them of some of the very things that they have counted on, which is depth and some of their premium players, chief playmakers. So, yes, they've properly equipped themselves, but a lot of that has been stripped by injury this year at different points of the season, obviously. If there's one thing I have said maybe more than anything else when people approach me to talk about the Bills is I always finish with they just got to stay healthy. And that's true for any football team. Yeah. Uh, obviously, and everybody's dealing with different kind of injuries. I mean, the the Cardinals just found out today they're going to be without Kyler Murray the rest of the year. It's happening to everybody right. across the league. It's just at but different times this. of the season. I'll say this though: when you're that, when you're in that spot, you say all this other stuff, and you say, of course, they got to stay uninjured. But that's really the only thing you say with this Buffalo Bills yeah. team. If they stay healthy, there's no stopping them. Uh, except themselves. We've said it from the beginning, and that's where they're at. That's where they've been. That's where they're going to stay for the time being. And uh, that's a pretty good spot to be in. With a big one on tap on Saturday. We've got another big show on tap for you tomorrow. NFL Network's Mike Giardi will be joining us. Steve and I will see you tomorrow at 1 p.m.